Welcome, everyone, to the Fourth Taveran Podcast. We are a Wheel of Time podcast that talks about the books from Robert Jordan, books 1 through 15, and also a little bit about the TV show here and there, but mostly we'll be focusing on the books as we have read them several times, and that is our, I would say that is our main focus on this podcast is the books and how we like them and just the different aspects, characters, situations, organizations, all that stuff. So we will be talking in this episode, we will be starting our first review episode of The Great Hunt, book two of The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. And we just finished up the first book, and so you can go back and listen to those review episodes. The first few are audio only, so you can find them on our podcast, audio podcast feed. There are some on YouTube, some video podcasts of those, but there's just kind of a picture with us talking. It's mainly the audio podcast. And then the last two are actually video podcasts in this format. So, And we will be using this format from now on, and there will be still um, audio podcasts on your um, podcast app if you want to listen to just audio. But So... Book two, The Great Hunt, The Wheel of Time. We finally made it, so we got here. We will be doing a review of uh, the prologue through chapter seven in this episode, and then we'll kind of keep moving forward that way. We will also be talking more about the Ajas of the Aes Sedai, the different colors and organizations, what they do, what they stand for, as well as uh, some of the Forsaken. We talked about three of them last time, and this time we'll be talking about uh, Lanfear and some of the Amerlins and kind of the history of of the White Tower and the Amerlin seat. So we got a lot of stuff, good stuff to talk about. So we want to thank you guys for joining us here on this podcast episode. We invite you to subscribe to the channel, like the video if you like it, make some comments if you feel like you need to, and we will respond and um, that'll help us out a lot. It doesn't cost you much or anything really, but it helps us out a lot. So thank you in advance. But I do have my fellow Taviran with me, Let's get to it. We got Mark here joining us once again. Hey guys, how's it going? Good to be here. And we got our our longtime ongoing special guest, Kyle. Hey everybody. And I think at this point you're no longer a special guest. <laughs> you're <laughs> I've graduated. You're, you're a Taviran now, oh, full Taviran. Very nice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Kyle came on our podcast a while ago. We did one of the the live podcasts for. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it's one of the podcasts, Wheel of Time podcasts, organized a live podcast, uh, 24 hours straight of Wheel of Time podcasts. Yeah. And we invited Kyle on and he stepped up and joined us. And ever since then, he's been part of it. So he has some good input. We appreciate that, Kyle. I'm excited to be here, guys. Yeah. So um, the prologue starts off. Uh, the last prologue was way in the way in the past with the with, – uh, Loose Theron and his demise, but this prologue is current, current day, and we got a dark friend meeting. They're all gathered together. They're wearing masks. It's kind of like one of those parties where everybody wears masks and they don't know who the other person is. <laughs> That's the vision I get with it anyway, and they're all waiting for the dark one to show up, and there's uh, some Trollocs come, and a Murderall shows up and tells them, calls them all worms, and tells them to kneel. And uh, then, unfortunately, the Dark One doesn't show up, but Balzaman shows up. He's back. What do you guys think about Balzaman showing up after he was supposedly dead in the last book? Rand supposedly killed him. Rand still thinks he killed him. So, I don't know, Mark, what do you think about Balzaman coming back? 
still alive. Um, I think it goes to show that Rand has a long way to go, right? I mean, he he thinks he killed him, he did everything right, but he doesn't understand the forces he's contending with yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he still thinks everything's fought in the physical realm. He still thinks that what where he was was in the physical realm. Um, and so, I you know, I think, you know, it just goes to show how early it is in the book and how much he has to learn. And so I think it's a good, I think it's kind of a good twist, right? I remember reading this the first time. I'm like, whoa, what the heck just happened? You know, he's, yeah. this guy's dead and he, he's here. And um, it's actually pretty cool, I think. You know, I think it goes to, uh, it kind of shows me that there's a deeper, darker meaning and story to all of this. And we're just getting started. Yeah. Any thoughts from you, Colin? No, uh, in addition to that, I think it starts to illustrate uh, the Dark One's power, right? And so to, to your point, Mark, you know, first of all, Rand is just scratching the surface on the forces he's having to contend with. It also illustrates um, that, you know, the, the Dark One really has a lot of control over death, mm-hmm. right? And how that actually works. And as we'll see later, I mean, Balsamon, and I guess, spoil, spoiler alert, guys, but Balsamon comes back mm-hmm. multiple times, yeah. right? And so, you know, after, you know, being killed, quote unquote, (laughs) right? And so, you know, the great Lord of of the Dark or the Dark One, right, does have the control to bring his Forsaken and, you know, his followers back should he choose to. And so it's it's an interesting foreshadowing of of the forces uh, that the light will have to contend with going forward. Yeah. Yes. And to your point, you bring up a good point, Kyle. Uh, There will be spoilers in this podcast. Moving forward from here on out, we will be discussing anything and everything related to the Wheel of Time, whether it's in this book, previous book, future books, in the white book, the black book. Um, So if you're not wanting spoilers, uh, you might want to read the book first or the series first, actually, because we'll be going all over the place. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, we'll we'll try not to give up like the big plot points. I mean, some of it's good, but I mean, we're going to talk about things, so mm-hmm. you'll be ready for that. Uh, I know it kind of sucks for those new readers and stuff. Um, we're not trying to push you out. We'll, we'll let you know, but you know, we like this book. We've been reading it for what 30 years. So you have your chance. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So Shaitan is actually, it's not Shaitan. It's Balzaman. Is he pretending to be Shaitan? I think we talked about this last time. I think he's playing it up. He's letting it be like, oh, maybe I am. He's not like denying it, but he's not Shaitan. But people think it is. Do you think he's playing it up or he's just kind of lost his marbles a bit? I think he's lost his marbles for sure. And so he... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. No, no, you, I, you finish, finish. I was going to say, I mean, he has a history of... of mental illness just due to sheer exposure to you know the dark one's power and taint and other things like that right and so the notion that he is he said he thinks or purports or you know says that he is the dark one he is shaitan kind of a thing right Mm -hmm. is you know could be a symptom of that yeah okay yeah same thing i mean i think i mentioned this last time um that you know, there was this huge void where he was the only one getting out of the boar, and he, you know, took on that role of of Shaitan, right, of the Dark One, and you know, 
yeah, I definitely think he's lost his marbles a bit. Um, but he's not wrong either, right? He becomes nameless later. No one knows what that means if you haven't read the book yet. But you know, he's mm-hmm. he's definitely revered, and and he his place is well called for. Like it's a well deserved yeah. place. So I think that even though he may be rising above his station, it's not completely out of place either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the description of the book, it kind of describes his hands are all burned up and there's some like injuries or something that appeared to be from fire, which is how he died in the last book. So there's some carry over there. Um, uh, so we're, we're seeing this meeting through the eyes of a white cloak named Boars. He calls himself Boars in this place is what he said. Do we know who Boars is? Do we, I can't remember if we find that out or not. We do. We don't know it yet. Okay. So it comes obvious later. Yeah, I think it actually sa- he actually says it um, mm. later. Do you want me to? Yeah. Who is it? Lay it out. Who's Boris? <laughs> so this this is a big <laughs> this is a big spoiler. So mute for like thirty seconds. It's J J Keem Carradine. Okay. J- is that how you say his name? I think so. He's you know the leader of the questioners. Yeah, questioners, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Yeah, we find out. I, I want to say like book eleven or twelve is when we finally find that out. Mm. All right. Or maybe maybe sooner. I can't remember. I think it's after he kills the Lord Commander. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. When he start when he takes control of the of the white cloaks, more or less. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. Yeah. So there's all types of people of different countries, different organizations, and you kind of describe some of them. There's a couple of Aes Sedai sisters there. Shainaran is there. Some other nationalities. So everyone's, you know, every culture, every group is kind of represented, involved in Balsamon's plan. Um, And they're all shown images of Rand, Matt, and Perrin. This kind of sets the stage for the rest of the book. Uh, They're all shown images of Rand, Matt, and Perrin. And they're saying, hey, you guys got to hunt for him. I think someone asks, should we kill him? And he's like, no, don't kill him. Just kind of find him. And then they're all given their own set of instructions. And Boars is like, oh, I wish I knew everyone else's because then I know what mine are because then I could kind of figure it out and, you know, do a better job, basically. So uh, he wants to know everybody's plan, but he doesn't He doesn't get it. And they all get their own set of instructions. Um, so... I, one question I had while we we're while I was reading this prologue is where where are they meeting or does it matter? I mean, because it seemed like there was a really nice palace. There were servants there, blonde servants. So maybe it's like, oh, is this is this Andor? Because that's kind of a, a blonde na- nation. Hmm. So I don't know. Does it matter? Do you guys know? Speculate. Were when, when I was reading it, I always envisioned it being one of the. I guess palaces are you know, in the borderlands that had been lost, mm. right? And so and close to Sheol Ghul or something. Close to Sheol Ghul. Mm. Yeah, maybe and so. But I don't know exactly where it is, Mark. Do you know? I I don't. It ne- it never really says. I don't think it ever comes to fruition. As far as we know, right? It could just be some construct of the dream world, right? Yeah, uh, it could be too. Yeah. yeah, I did think that, but it seemed too substantial. But anyways, yeah. Okay. Uh, so then it cuts, you know, he, Boars is taken to his room and he wakes up back in reality. So that's that's the prologue. A pretty good setup for, you know, good prologue for the book, I thought. I liked it. 
Um, so then it cuts to Rand and Lan sword fighting and practicing again, like we left them at the end of book one. It's been about a month since the the end of the last book, and there's Rand still there. I mean, I think at the end of book one, he was talking about leaving. He's like, "I'm I'm going to leave and do my own thing," but yet he's still there. And while they're practicing, uh, Rand is defending himself from Lan. He doesn't have the the experience and the talent yet to to beat land i think he gets in a, a lucky duel every once in a while but so he's he's backpedaling and then there's this there's some wind going on and the wind kind of catches him and Rand feels like there's a wall behind him, a wall of air and he can't back up so then uh land's thrust of the practice sword gets him in the chest and it kind of splinters and causes an injury and he's like what happened and land asked him he's like i there was a wall there i couldn't move i was i was caught by the air and Lan kind of looks at him. And he's like, well, strange things happen at the Blight. He kind of just blows it off. Well, you're Taverian. We're by the Blight. Something happened. But I took it more than that. I think Rand did too. Do you guys have any insight on, on what that could have been? I think there's a couple theories, right? I mean, there's always the, the theory that somebody used the one power, right? Mm-hmm. And blocked him so that Rand could get hurt. Um there's there's also the notion that Lan there was some sense to what Lan was saying right in that you know random things happen to the happen near the blight but I mean, we'll see later in the book that some of these random things continue to happen as the dark one breaks free right right and we call them bubbles of evil right right and so these bubbles of evil are quasi warpings of reality that um, you know essentially rend. Uh, I guess end up bringing terrible things to, happening to to the people inside of the world here, and so there's a bunch of examples um, around you know what these bubbles of evil could be. You know, maybe this this what I guess wall of wind could be an example of one of them. One of them there's there's another one where it's a, a person that just keeps puking up beetles until they totally deflate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's another one where Rand sees himself in a reflection. Right. Okay, and, yeah. All these different mini rands, mini rands start attacking, <laughs> right, and doing terrible things. One, I mean, inanimate objects come to life and start hurting people. All sorts of stuff, right? right yeah. And these seem to happen more frequently as the dark one continues to break free, right? And his hold on reality, or I guess his hold on the world, begins to warp the notions of reality, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm wondering if this is the first glimpse of a bubble of evil. Given that one, we're so close to Shale Ghoul, and I mean, we'll see later in the book that that doesn't really matter how close you are, right? But two, um, that it's just you know the the dark one is getting a better grip on on warping what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that before you brought it up um, with the the notion or the theory that it was a a weave of air holding him. It had to be an Aes Sedai, and the only Aes Sedai around was Moraine, or I guess Egwene or naive but they wouldn't have done that neither would have moraine so i don't know if that theory holds any weight or not so bubbly evil any do you have any thoughts mark on what it could have been no i this was a weird one i remember reading it uh when i was doing this reread and thinking that same thing like was it a bubble of evil because it wasn't really this bubble of evil that, that we get to know right mm-hmm where like chaos happens people die you know and stuff and then normally when you see a bubble of evil especially around ran it's offset by 
a bubble of good, right? Like, I think it's explained in later books. Like, you know, someone, I don't know, a, a, a door falls over and it hits a nail and someone gets run <laughs> over by ten cows, right? That's a yeah. bubble of evil. Whereas the same is for a bubble of good, right? Because of Rand's presence, a baby falls out a window, falls 55 stories, lands in, you know, lands in a cloud and everything's good, grows up to be a king, right? Like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's these kind of huge examples of good and bad. And uh, obviously I'm <laughs> exaggerating a little bit. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it, it's pretty noticeable when they happen and they usually offset each other. So I was looking for the offset. Where here was this bubble of evil, where's the bubble of good? Where, where's something crazy that happens or to varnish that happens? Yeah. And I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't really see it. Yeah. So for me, for me, I kind of chalked it to this is one of the 55,000 lost storylines. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> right? This was meant to mean something, and then it just kind of got lost in this huge story, and, which is fine. But, that, I mean, because... Uh, Lan would have known if it was if it was Moiraine, right? He would have known that she was channeling nearby. He would have said something. I feel like so. I don't think it was her. I it could be a bubbly evil. I just don't see the offset to it. You know, where was the opposite? Mm, yeah, good points. So mm -hmm. we don't know. Uh, if someone knows, mm, comment on the video. Let us know what you think. So that'd be awesome to, to get that. Uh, they also talk about the the Heronmark sword that Rand has. We get a history lesson on this sword, right? Which is pretty cool. Uh, Lan explains about uh, power rot items, specifically swords. And uh, his sword, uh, the, the Malkir King sword, was a power rot sword. But it's not a Heronmark sword, which I thought was surprising. Because he's a better swordsman. He's definitely a, a Heron. You know, he could carry that blade and be well respected with it. Uh, but he just has, I think he describes it just a, a normal soldier's blade at some point. Uh, but some of these power rot blades survived 3,000 years from the Age of Legends through the breaking and have made their way into the hands of, of these people here. And um, there's also, they also talk about how some, there's a handful of Heron Mark swords that are power rot. Uh, by the Aes Sedai from the Age of Legends. And then there's some Heron Mark swords that are just modern day uh, blacksmiths have made them, right? But Rand's is one from the Age of Legends, which is pretty cool. I like that. Um, oh, but we still don't know how Tam got it, right? To give okay. to, to Rand or who was in his house, right? So I mean, He was in the, you know, the Ileana army, right? And kind of proved himself to be a blade master there, but how that happened i don't think we know yeah the closest we get is the the prequel um new spring where he's tam is there but we don't really see much about him it's mm -hmm. about lan and moraine but mm -hmm. he's kind of there at one point i think or at least his his he's he fights in those battles at least i don't think we really see him necessarily even so, so i think i think that was one of the prequels he was going to write new spring he was going to write how tam left the two rivers fought came back with the sword and the baby mm -hmm. and then there was another one how uh moraine and land showed up at the two rivers just in time to before the trollocs came right so those are going to be the three prequels well, we only got one of them yeah which would have been amazing yeah well i can't even i can't even mention why because it would give up too much of a certain Aes Sedai. 
that <laughs> was caught up in everything. <laughs> and she she was from the Brown Aja. Oh yeah, I think that's one spoiler I'm, we should hold on to. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm <laughs> yeah. not gonna say right, but I'm just saying like that would have been an awesome story to read. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but this scene, I, I don't know about for you guys. I hate to jump in here. Go this ahead. scene was kind of like a low key, like thumbs up to Lan, and this is why oh, yeah. I, I was thinking about this because remember he talks. This is a spoiler. Not, I mean, it's a little bit spoiler for later. Um. Remember he's talking, or he's training him, and then he says, I can make a Blade Master out of you in five years. Yeah. Okay, so this this goes to show how good Lan really was. He was saying, I need to give you five years to be that good. But he trained Rand for however long, and Rand goes and beats Turok. <laughs> yeah. Which, who, who is know. a Blade Master. Right. Right, he's a known blade master, and so it's. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, one, Rand's amazing for his age. Like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. Two, does that mean that Lan is so good that he's thinking I need another five years to train you? When really, I can train you to be a blade master in like a month. <laughs> right? Like, I'm like this. That like, I think it's kind of like, oh, well, Lan's pretty freaking awesome, and we don't even know how awesome yet. Yeah, yeah. But he is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's that's a good angle to take. Um I wish we would have got more of them together, Rand and Lan. Like cuz they were, you know, he's he's kind of the the foster dad or the alternate dad he doesn't have at this point. Um and he teaches them how to duel the sword, teaches them how to talk uh to the Amarlin seat and walk. He does the walk through the I said I had to go talk to the Amarlin seat later, <laughs> a little bit later. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So he does. So he teaches us some really cool things. I wish we would have got more of that in this story, but uh, mm-hmm. we didn't. Uh, so while they're they're training, they're, they they talk, and then they see this procession coming. There's these trumpets and the Amarlin seat, and a bunch of Aes Sedai are coming to Faldar. And Rand just <laughs> freaks out. It's like I got to get out of here. They're coming for me. They're gonna they're gonna gentle me. I'm gonna go to the White Tower, be a prisoner. You know, like all these terrible things he's thinking of, right? Uh, with reason. So he tries to escape. The next chapter is him trying to, you know, he goes back to his room, gets his stuff, all his old stuff's taken, and now he has all these fancy clothes, and he doesn't like it, but he's like, whatever, I got to get out of here. But he can't. All the doors, like minutes before he gets to the doors or the stables to get his horse and leave, an order came down to have everything locked down. So he can't leave. So he's trying to, he meets up with um, Masima and... Another guy, I can't remember, another um, Shinar. And so we, and Masima plays a big role later on in the story. So we kind of get their first interaction and he's, he's grumpy. He's, he says, Rand later says he's, he wasn't rude, but he was just cold to him, like indifferent. So that's kind of Masima's personality. He's always grumpy. The other guy's name's Ragan. Ragan, yes. Yeah. I think he goes with the group, right? Yeah. Yeah. Later on. So we'll see more of them as the, as the story goes on and the story goes on. So, um, we can't get out. He ends up running into Matt and Perrin and Boyle. And like, okay, yeah, let's go. They want to go with him. They want to get out of there too. But he's like, no, you guys can't come with me. So he kind of is rude to them and says, you guys, I'm always trying to save you guys, having to save you guys. You guys can't take care of yourself without me. So they get in this fight and they, they leave all mad. And so he, 
he's trying to protect them is what he's thinking. And so then he runs to Egwene. She's like, I know what you're doing. And that's, that's so mean. And, you know, so he's trying to get out. And Egwene says, well, let's go to the dungeons and hide. And Pat and Fane's down there. And they get this really creepy feeling. And um, so they go up to the women's quarters and hide Rand there. Um, any thoughts on those those um, events? They're pretty straightforward. So I think you start getting a foreshadowing of who Pot on Fane is and the effect he has on oh, people. Yeah, that's true. Right? When they go down there. I mean, this is before really bad things start to happen down there, right? But Egwene and Matt go down and Egwene, uh, you know, notices that, you know, these guards have always been nice to me, right? Mm -hmm. They've always been nice and kind and understanding, right? And now they're very, when when Egwene and Matt, or Egwene and Rand go down there, they're very standoffish and kind of uptight, right? And you can see the beginnings of even all the cellmates around Pot on Fane starting to go crazy, Mm -hmm. right? And so just foreshadowing the notion that Pot on Fane is not only a dark friend, but something much, much worse, right? He has this effect that starts to really manipulate and change people. It's almost, uh, I want to say magic, but the magic in this story is the one power and it's not the one power, but it's like this influence that exudes from him that he has He's able to exhibit or uh, use power to change people's perspectives. Right. Right. Yeah. Where do you think that's from? Is it from like Machin Shin and uh, Mashadar and all that? I think they're ancient, right? It's it's not, I wouldn't say it's from the Dark One, right? I'm sure that, I mean, the Dark One has, has has his influence, right? But I feel like these are ancient evils that are beginning to form inside of pot on fane right you have you have uh the the evil in shadar logoth right that that you know tends to mature in in pot on fane he does mention mordeth Mm -hmm. in this in these chapters right he does and mordeth is from um shadar logoth right and so that's the thing is i i don't think it's Dark One evil, I think it's uh, an amalgamation of all these evils, Dark One included, Mm -hmm. right? That begin to manifest through Pot on Fane. Not necessarily, it seems like magic in my mind, but it's it's more a separate type of power that that Pot on Fane wields that obviously matures to something disastrous later, but uh, beginning to kind of, you know... I guess inf- uh, you know, spread his influence to the point to where not only will he be able to control people, but he'll be able to call you know control shadow spawn in the mm, future as well, yeah, right? Yeah, and so yeah, and this is the beginnings of his character. Mm-hmm. Like we saw, well, we saw the beginning of, from the two rivers to now, but like this is his evil character. This is how it. This is where it starts, and right. he really takes form in this chapter. And I mean, it gets so poignant to the fo- to the point to where I mean. Murdral kind of yeah. start to I mean when when somebody sees a Murdral or a fade right it's it's fear right mm-hmm. you feel that fear that emptiness that right but it's re- like when Pot on Fane interacts with Murdral so it's like it's reversed yeah right? they're afraid of them they're afraid of Pot on Fane yeah because of the power and and the the influence that he wields and so yeah yeah that's that's an interesting very important fact to bring up because we'll see it throughout the rest of the series. Mm. So, any thoughts on that, Mark? 
Uh, you know, just yeah. He, I mean, he gets more and more evil. Really, I think he he's the embodiment of all the evil in the world. That's not necessarily, you know, aligned. For example, the Dark One. Right, you've got his influence. He was his hound. Uh, you have Mordith, who's from Eredal, with different kind of evil, the greed, the all, right, all that stuff. And then Machin Chin, Machin Chin, right, that comes from the ways, and he like absorbs all of them and becomes something else. Yeah. Right. Something greater than each one of them, and and it, it came so bad, right, that even though the Forsaken knew who he was, they steered clear of him. Uh, even though, you know, Midril steered clear of him. The good side, steered, like, everyone was just like, okay, we don't know what this dude is, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like, yeah. I mean, no one was touching him. Like, Slayer didn't go after him. Yeah. Right? None of the Forsaken went after him. Everyone was just like, leave this dude alone. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, very, very dynamic yeah, character. I, I feel like of all the characters that were completely underdone in the end of the books... He, him, his was the most right because yeah. mm-hmm. he could have been whatever he was. I feel like was much different, but much greater than the pieces that were on the board already. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's tragic that that didn't play out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there, that that's my thoughts on Pantheon. Yeah. I know, like, I kind of went deep there, but there that's you go. fine. That's good. All right, so then <clears throat> uh, Rand. Hides out in the women's quarters. Egwene sneaks him in because they'll never look for him there. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then we cut to Moraine's point of view. She's there and in her room, just chilling. Leandrin and Anaya, Leandrin's of the red Aja, Anaya's of the blue. They come to her door and say, hey, the Amarillo seat wants to see you. So they escort her there. Uh, and they kind of fill her in on what's been going on since she's been out wandering the world in the past year or so. Uh, they tell her that three false drag- dragons have risen up in the just in the past year, where previously it was like three and three years or something like that. Um, and one of them is Mazram Tame, I believe, and then the other two can't channel. They they were just warriors or something like that. Um, and then Elaine, they tell her that Elaine has, and Gawain have come to the tower for their training from Andor. Uh, they they also tell Moraine that she's been she's been gone too long. Like no one knows what she's doing. She needs to come back, and they they kind of imply that she's gone rogue. She's doing her own thing, not listening to anybody, and they don't like that. And then I also noticed during the reread that Leandrin's kind of acting strange. She seems distracted. Uh, she's just kind of looking around, lost in thoughts, and that sort of thing, which I'll get back to later. And then Moraine notices that. Uh, they go to, to the Amaran seat. The keeper's there. Leandrin is there. They talk for a while, the three of them, and then Leandrin's excused, and they really get down to business. <laughs> and they talk about, we find out that uh, they're like best friends. You know, um, They grew up together in the tower. They were novices together and accepted and all that. So they've known each other for a few years. And really their plan, they, they reveal the whole plan right here, is that their plan was to find the dragon reborn because we find out that they were there when the foretelling came out that the dragon was reborn. And so they were like, well, we got to find him. We got to do something. We read about that in New Spring, which at this point hadn't been written yet. So this is kind of the, the basic of it all <clears throat> that we got at that time. So 
they're gonna they're gonna find him and train him and protect him from the Reds to you know have him ready for the last battle. And uh, I don't know what you guys think about that plan, Mark. Any thoughts on their their big plan? That plan was awesome, and they did it very well. Okay. So no, um, <laughs> I, I like how. Uh, it kind of splits it, right? You've got one person that helps make this plan who sits, you know, behind the scenes and you have one that's out there doing it. And it's kind of cool to see like, look, we had this plan. What the heck, you know, what the hell are you doing? And she's yeah. like, okay, like, listen to me. <laughs> that plan's not going to work. Yeah. We found him, but it, you know, and it's kind of, you know, kind of a neat, um, I think realization from, uh, from Warren, and I think that's kind of why we need that new that book that was never written, because I think some of it will go into there. How she knew to go to you know to Emmons Field in the first place, you know what led her there. To, because from the beginning, like you can kind of see that while she kind of is like, well, we should take him to the tower. She doesn't really ever plan to take him to the tower. Mm -hmm. That's like a bad something idea. changed. Yeah, something changed her mind prior to this in that 20 years so we don't really know i mean definitely a good plan to start super naive right like we're gonna capture mm -hmm. the dragon and keep him bundled up in the corner and then somehow here save all our lives yeah that was that was the point i give it to it is a good plan but yes naive oh terribly naive <laughs> I, I always thought it was interesting the roles you know that you mentioned mark you know one's kind of sitting behind the scenes in the tower you know obviously in the most influential position being the omberland seat right but and then the other one's out in adventuring. I, I thought it was interesting how they ended up in those roles, right? Thinking about their history. Yeah. Moraine is this Kyrian and noble, yeah. right? That is very adept at playing the game of houses, right? Which mm -hmm. is basically the lifeblood of Kyrian, right? Mm -hmm. um, Sawan is a fisherman's daughter in, from Tyr, right? Mm -hmm. So you would think that Moraine would be far, far more adept at being an Amerlin seat, right? Mm -hmm. Given her experience with I would say leadership, nobility, uh, intrigue, game of houses, all that fun stuff, right? And Suwan would be far more adept at adventuring and and finding the Dragon Reborn. And so, anyways, I, I always thought it was interesting that their roles, given their history, were quasi-reversed, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, that is an interesting point. So, I think... Um, their plan, they get to the point where they, we have to excuse Mark. He has to take a phone call, business, business calls. He'll be back. But, um, so they get there, they start talking about it and they bring up, well, that's not going to work because he's too stubborn. <laughs> he's not going to do what we ask him to do. He's going to do his own thing. So we can either push, push, and then he'll just run away, or we can just let him do his own thing and then catch up with him later. Mm -hmm. That's what it sounds like. So her, she says, well, my plan now is I'm going to send these three boys to Ilian with the horn. And when they get there, they'll be heroes because they found the horn. And all these hunters will be there. The armies of Ilian will be there. And then he can proclaim himself to be the dragon. And everybody will join forces and he'll lead them, right? So that's kind of her plan. And so I think it sounds like Swan's like, okay, so we'll do that. Um, but they also talk about um, how if their plan is found out, like they if it's found out that Swan and Moraine came up with this thing, then they're going to be, she's going to be deposed and stilled, 
you know, should be the third Amarillo seat to be uh, stilled. Big deal. Yeah, huge deal. Uh, and, and I think, and then they start to get into the power struggles of the, the tower just a little bit. Previously, so she uh, Swan talks about how the green are have now aligned with the red, and the red are always trying to take power. Their thing is power and control and uh, stealing men who can channel, who can or gentling men who can channel. So the green and the red have aligned. When historically the green and the blue have always aligned, have been partners, and it all comes down to which color of Aja the current Amarillo seat is or has been. Right. So the two Amarillans that got deposed and stilled were of the red. So that's a big embarrassment for them. And since the second one, there hasn't been a new um, red Amarillan seed for like generations. Um, so they're bitter about that still. And the greens, there's been a lot of blue Ajas that are blue um, Aes Sedai that have been Amarillan seats recently. So everyone's starting to feel like these blues are kind of taking over the tower. We want something different. Uh, and so that's why the greens start to align with the red. Cause they're thinking, well, maybe we can get a green on the, on the seat. Right. Kind of how I read it. Uh, and I, th- I think that's pretty interesting how they, there's a story and then you got these undercurrents in the story that Jordan creates. That's really interesting. And Oh yeah. So, yeah, the tower politics are are something to to behold. It's just you have these. You, you could kind of compare them to you know modern day politics in their mm-hmm. in their ferocity and and you know I guess undercurrent in the in the sense that while the sisters are all one, all the Aes Sedai are one body, right? Yeah, they're very divided in in thought processes um influence and interests even yeah right and so i think uh we want to get into the ajas now or should we do that let's do that a little later maybe yeah but um it's it's always interesting seeing how these political undercurrents align with their overall aja purpose which we'll talk about here in a minute but that kind of plays into why certain ones align with others right and uh, how that power and influence is gained through that, you know, through these temporary alliances that ultimately kind of promote, um, I guess, control in the tower. And then ultimately, given that the Aes Sedai are kind of the main power in in the world, mm-hmm. they're in the known world, right? Yeah. It's, you know, in, in, in their known world, the power there. So, yeah. So, um, so they talk about that and, Moraine at first is like, oh, she's kind of paranoid about this, <laughs> but you know, there's really, there's, they're making moves to get, uh, I don't know if they want to get rid of Swan. I don't think, cause they don't know the plan. So they wouldn't, they don't really have a reason to get rid of her, but they're trying to do, and I don't know if they can vote out in Amarillo how that, if that works or, I mean, I don't know that process as far as once they're in, how do they, do they serve till they die or, I don't know. So Mark, we're talking about how. Um, the green and the red are conspiring against the blue uh, to get rid of Swan and she's kind of thinking about things and how there's only been two Amarillo seats prior who have been deposed and stilled and they were red Aja and so they're trying to get rid of the blue Aja off the Amarillo seat. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, 
Yeah, so I kind of heard what you were saying. I okay. don't think there's a way to vote out in Amerlin, right? Once they're in Amerlin, how do you guys pronounce it? How do you guys say it? I say Amerlin. Yeah, I say Amerlin. Amerlin. So I, I, once you're in Amerlin, you're you're there till you die. Yeah. I mean, they they're there till they die. Mm. Um, the so I don't think there's a way. However, the Amer Amerlin only has so much power, right? It's kind of like the president, right? I mean, it has power. But it's limited to, right? They have to follow the, the the hall is what they call it, right? They have to follow the the voice of the hall and, and things like that. And I think it's always been blues and greens were were allied. But with you know this whole change and how you know the world is going, like everyone sees it, it's kind of going like all this stuff's happened, right? Right, all this I bad they, stuff. Yeah, I think they mentioned, you know, the hunt for the horn was called, and not nobody knew it. Yeah. Um, Morgays was, is, you know, doing things that they don't like. Uh, you know, there's riots in the streets, you know, there. And, you know, there's all, all this upheaval. Yeah, and, they don't think she can handle it, right? Yeah, and the Aes Sedai have been kind of taken, you know, you know, taken from the side like they're not ready for it you know you have all these you know dragons popping up left and right and so i think that the red kind of see an opportunity to take power sooner than later now whether it's a long game or short game we will wait and see but (laughs) um (laughs) but you know because swan is super young you know she i said i i think live for a few hundred years She's maybe fifty-ish. Yeah, maybe at this point, maybe fifty-ish, and so you know she's going to be around a while, and uh, so you know it's kind of like a, a long game. But I mean, there's ways to take power without deposing the Amerlin and the Amarillan too. Mm-hmm. Just say how you like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard with these words. Yeah. These made-up words. They're all spelled weird. Yeah. Yeah, those are good points. Um, so they also they did talk you mentioned Elida or no Morgays and Elida was the counselor to Morgays Elida of the Red Aja we saw her last book uh, they mentioned that she came to the tower with Elaine and she's staying there um, which they thought was hey what's she doing and then I think and then they started talking about how well Elaine's going to be super powerful she's going to be the most powerful I said I ever Elida found her Brought other tower, so it's the red are getting a lot of clout. Like, ooh, that gives them like some power that they can use. And mm-hmm. but then Moraine's like, well, <laughs> I've got two people from the two rivers who are one's the same level as Elaine, and the other one's going to be the most powerful I said I ever. <laughs> so I think we're good. Well, and I think it's good to note too. So. It's weird because they never really go into a lot of politics. I mean, they they talk about it over the course of 13, 14 books. So we kind of learn over time. But to kind of understand, the the Aes Sedai really put a lot of emphasis in individual power. Okay, So if I'm individually powerful, then I have a lot of clout, you know, when it comes to Aes Sedai politics. Right. And And Elida... Aside from now, maybe because I, I'm pretty sure Swan and Moiraine now um, are more powerful. But at the beginning, Elida was the most powerful Aes Sedai in the tower. Mm-hmm. No, there's no one else more powerful than her. And in the, the tower, in the tower, in the yeah. tower. 
right? Um, yes. And so, but she also knew that Moraine and uh, and uh, Swan would become more powerful than her. Mm-hmm. But now Swan is the Amirlin uh, seat, Amirlin seat, and. Um, so she is kind of out of the politicking game, you know, as far as that level goes. And Moiraine has been gone. She has not been involved. So up until now, really, Elida is revered as one of the most powerful, influential Aes Sedai members. And now she's bringing, you know, the daughter Air, who is super powerful. So this really does give her a crutch. I mean, she is probably, aside from um, Swan, the most powerful, influential Aes Sedai in the tower. Mm, and that and that worries Swan Sanche, right? Because yeah. now she's like, this is unchecked, and mm. I I can personally do nothing to check it. Mm-hmm. And they part of their plan was well, no one's going to remember that we were no- novices together. I think they mentioned that you know, as long as no one remembers that, we're going to be good because they won't put us together that we're working together. But Elida knows she remembers that they yeah. were best friends. Yep, so she is going to be aware of that going in. And as a side note, Swan, she mentions that she has the talent of seeing Taviran. Um, and she saw Rand. He was like a bright sun, one of the most powerful Taviran's ever. And Maureen's like, and Maureen's like, yep. And there's two more of them, (laughs) Matt and Perry. How, how is it? It seems like everybody has this talent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, it's like, like everybody just happens to know. Like Elida has it, uh, Swan has it, Loyal. Loyal has it. I mean, you know, the guy across the street has it, <laughs> but Rand and them just have no idea what it, it needs to yeah. about it. Yeah. I always found that a little weird. It's like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I swear, it's like everybody that meets them knows it except them, you know. And the whole time they're like, "I'm not this person," you know. Like it's just, it's just random. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So then it switches to a point of view from Jeff from Bornhall, who's a white cloak leader. Have we met him before this? I don't I don't think we did. No, I think this is the first time we meet Jeff. Yeah. And so he is kind of think he's on he's journeying through the land and he can he's kind of reflecting on things, remembering things. And he's he was told by Pedrin Nile, the white cloak leader, the head guy, to leave Camelin and go to Almouth Plain and meet someone. And uh Bornhold's like, well, I'm about ready to take over Camelin. Things are falling apart. Morgay's um, light is gone. Morgay's is vulnerable. I can, I can do something here. Take over Camelin. They don't. Um, there's factions within Camelin that will align with us that we can put in power, and then we will control Camelin, basically, right? And possibly depose Morgay's. Uh, but he was forced to withdraw. He had to leave due to Niall's orders. And then they later meet up with questioners um, to fight to fight the strangers that are entering um, Toman Head and all that that area, which we find out later on the Shan Chen. So here is a tidbit of information that is dropped that doesn't really make sense till later. So what if uh, so Elida leaving left Morgay's open, left her vulnerable, and then the White Cloaks had their chance; they left. And then what happens to Morgay's later, and like in the next book, um, one of the Forsaken shows up and kind of takes over through her. So if Elida hadn't left, or if the White Cloaks had done something, do you think that would have happened, or would have played out differently, or, or not? 
Uh, Elida would have been disappeared. You think so? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a forsaken, right? I mean, he's not going to... Mm. Well, or she ends up working, you know, now she, now he has the queen and the Aes Sedai. Okay. Right? So it I wouldn't mean, have mattered, you don't think? No. Okay. I think... I think we probably would have... I mean, so going with the notion that, let's say, the White Cloaks control Camelin, right? And mm-hmm. Elida, the White Cloaks obviously don't like Aes Sedai, right? And mm-hmm. Elida gets sent away, Morghese is no longer in power. I think it would have been... I mean, to, to Mark's point, it's a Forsaken. I think, you know, through, um, you know, perhaps some of the White Cloaks that are dark friends, right? I think they probably would have come to a similar outcome mm-hmm. with Camelin, right? With the fact that, yep, they control it, but that Forsaken could then just use that different avenue. Okay. So control. same result. Probably the same yeah. result. In my Makes sense. Okay. All right. Uh, then we switch to the point of view of Leandrin, who at Faldara. And she's going, she's walking through the halls, and she she feels like someone's watching her. Like Rand was feeling it earlier in the book. Now she's feeling it. So I'm, I'm still wondering, what is this... Uh, watcher. Do we any thoughts on? Is it Powden Fane? Because he keeps looking up. He's in the basement in the cellar in the dungeons, and he keeps looking up, like he knows where people are. I said I and Rand. So is it him or is it someone else that's kind of stalking? We know something happens later with. Is it a gray man that shows up, or a dark friend tries to kill Amarlin Seat? Or Rand, but is it that guy, or does it matter? It just gives the sense of foreboding that I always thought it was some sort of dark entity. But you know, the more I think about it, the more I think it was. Uh, I think it was a combination of, of both Pot on Fane's influence, mm-hmm. as well as you know preparations for what happens here soon. Right, um, that things are on edge. People feel like they're being watched. It's it's all kind of starting to come to a head. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, did you have a comment, Mark? No, I was just agreeing. Yeah, I mean, like, okay. yeah, it's just kind of a combination of things. Foreshadowing. Okay. So, she goes to Amelise, who's Lord Agamar's sister, and she threatens her that if she doesn't help her, um, she's going to out her and her uh, brother, Lord Agamar's dark friends. And so she's like, I'll do whatever you want. And she tells him to search for Rand, Matt, and Perrin. Because she's looked for him and can't find him. So she's like, you find her. Get everyone you can involved to find her, find them. So she agrees to do that. And the whole process, throughout this whole process, we find out that Leandrin's a dark friend. And she's of the Black, black Aja. So that was interesting. Kind of sets it up. There's a Black Aja. <laughs> yeah. Block Aja verified. My kids are calling now. Sorry, I apologize. Okay. Uh, and then the last line of that, or last paragraphs of that chapter is, uh, someone comes into Patton's Fane, Patton Fane's cell to help him escape. And he's like, oh, I didn't think it would be you. <laughs> That's interesting, right? Yeah. Do we know who that is? I think, I think uh, it's revealed. I think it's revealed. I uh, at this point in the book, I'm like, oh, it's it's got to be one of those two guards that he like influenced. But the way he says it, yeah, I don't think it was. Yeah, I, I I think it's I think it's somebody else, right? Um, I think 
I always thought it could have been Ingtar, but mm. I don't know. That's what I think it is. And so I'm pretty sure it is Ingtar. Mm. Mark, you can correct us when you come back. <laughs> yeah, let us know. Uh, so then it moves on. Rand is having a nightmare. He's back in his house. Trollocs are breaking in. Murderall comes in. The Red Aja comes in to, to capture him. And he wakes up and uh, he's talking with Nynaeve. Nynaeve's there. He's in the the, the women's quarters. And Nynaeve says that, oh, he's, uh, Egwene's gone to talk to Pat and Fane. And Rand's like, that's a bad idea. What are you doing letting her go down there? And he's like, well, she likes talking to him. <laughs> he's like, come on, guys. He's like, super this, creepy. This is a terrible idea. <laughs> I know. Terrible well, idea. Why are you doing that? Uh, so she's gone that one. And Nynaeve's like, well, she's going to take Matt and Perrin down there. It'll be okay. And Rand's like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> that's worse. Yeah. <laughs> So then right then, an alarm goes off, and the keep just explodes. Everyone's like, we're under attack. And people are running around trying to figure out what's going on. Rand runs out. Of, this is probably one of the funnest parts of, the, of this first few chapters. He's, right. He runs through the women's quarters. with He's all haggard with a sword. And all the women are like, what? They start freaking out. Right. Like, what are you doing here? And so he, he runs off to go fight the Trollocs. Uh, he runs in face first into Swan. They kind of look at each other, and Moran's like, "She knows. She knows who I am." And yep, runs off. Um, but he finally he runs with some Trollocs. He tries to fight him, but he kind of stumbles and doesn't do a good job. But luckily, some more Baldarins um, show up and help him out and kill those Trollocs. And then he meets up with the Murdral. He's like, "Oh, I don't know." But then Ingtar shows up behind him and takes the Murdral, and he runs off to the the dungeons. And he gets down there and he sees a message scrolled on the wall. Like the, the two guards that we talked about earlier are dead, beheaded and eaten by the Trollocs. But he sees a message written on the, the wall from Pat and Fane. Something about, uh, I'll meet you in, in Toman Head. Um, and there was another phrase, I forget. But um, So he knows it's, it's, it's uh, Pat and Fane because he's, said the same thing to her earlier yep so he starts to scrub it scrub it off and then leandrin shows up he's like what are you doing boy um she accuses him of being involved in all of this and uh, he's like no i gotta go find Egwene." And, and she uses the power on him right and he thinks he's gonna die at some point he feels this intense pressure and he's like i'm gonna she's gonna kill me and then um Moraine shows up. Right. And Leander's like, oh, crap. <laughs> I think that power is a form of, I think it was compulsion, yeah. wasn't it? That's, yeah. Knowing what we know throughout the whole series, yeah. Yeah. Coming back to it, yeah. And so compulsion is one of those, uh, I think we'll, we'll learn later about, you know, forbidden weaves that that I said I are not allowed to, to, to use, right? One's balefire, one's compulsion. Compulsion mm-hmm. essentially allows you to, take control of or compel somebody else to do your bidding mm-hmm. right and it's interesting when when they describe the weave it's it's like a it's a knot that goes over the the you know victim's brain more or less right and is almost impossible to undo mm-hmm. right particularly with those that are very skilled at it right and i think it's it's i think leandrin also uses it on on Amalisa, yeah, right, something like that, yeah. Or earlier on, who was who you know Lord Agomar, Lord Agomar's sister, sister, right? And so, anyways, yeah, some, she said that she learned that as a, that was her trick that she learned as a child, right? To use that weave, 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, that that's the interesting thing and kind of yeah. re-emphasizes the fact that Leandrin, not a good person, yeah. right? Yeah. Part of the Black Aja. Black Aja obviously does not adhere to the rules that Aes Sedai are supposed to, right? And use those forbidden weaves like compulsion. Obviously, it doesn't work on Rand. And so. Yeah. Yeah, Moraine shows up and uh, Leandrin. I got the impression she just kind of stopped. Right. She didn't want to be found out. Uh, so then they, Rand runs down there. Moraine, or um, Egwene and Matt are unconscious. Pat and Fane's gone with the dagger. He took it from Matt. And they're, they're okay. They're just unconscious. And Moraine heals them. And uh, that's kind of how it, how it ends up. Yeah. It's kind of a grim scene down there, though, right? Yes. I mean, the the prisoners are now completely insane, killing right? themselves, killing themselves, hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. The the message was it scrawled in blood? I think it was in blood, yeah. right? So it's it's gory down there, yeah. right? Bad things have been happening, um, and I think I mean there's Trolloc script on the walls, right? Which is you know for you Lord of the Rings fans out there, it's like Mordor <laughs> script. It's bad stuff, right? Yeah, dark. Dark tongue, dark tongue. Which interestingly, right, the the brown aja is skilled at understanding, learning, and interpreting. Yes, right. And so we'll talk about that a little bit later about you know kind of the brown aja's responsibility and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's not a good place to be down there. Yeah. Any thoughts on that last sequence with uh, Pat and Fane's escape, Mark? Who did it? Yeah, who let him out? Who done it, right? I mean, we know of three dark friends that are in, that are there right now, right? So which of the three did it? Did all three of them have a part to play in it to do something? Or did just one of them do it, right? Because I, I, I don't know. Right. Obviously, we know Leandrin was involved in something because she says, you know, like, I've got a lot to do tonight. But we also know one of the other ones was involved as well. And they admitted it later in the book. We, right? we brought his name up already. Oh, we know Intar, right, was involved too. Mm-hmm. He opened a gate or something or the other, right? Yeah. So were all three of them involved or just the two? Who's the third one? We <laughs> somebody that we cannot name yet. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, that's right. Yes. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there's three at least. I I was always on the notion that it was. It was a combination of both of them, right? I think Leandrin set the scene, Ingtar opened the gate, you know? Leandrin made it so that Ingtar could go and open the gate, whether it was clearing people out or, you know, having people be on other errands. Leandrin started the atmosphere, Ingtar set the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. Did Ingtar open the gate? I think he did. I think Ingtar did no, he opened the gate, but he was he the one that opened the cell? Oh. I think... Uh, that's a good because point. That's a good point. He knew him, right? Uh, Padden Fane's like, oh. Like, he was surprised. It's like, it's you. 
that's a surprise, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. and he's, he's obviously surprised. I don't, cause I don't think at that point he had met Leandre. So he wouldn't know her. He wouldn't um, be surprised by Ingtar showing up. He just like, Oh, yeah, cause Ingtar let him in. Well, Ingtar opened the gate, right? He knows Ingtar. But he'd, he'd just be like, oh, yeah, he's a Shinar, Shinar and dark friend. Low, like, he's not an Aes Sedai. If an Aes Sedai, like, Leandrin showed up, he'd be like, oh, he would be surprised. Yeah, that's a good point. Or maybe this other point. person that we're not talking about right now. That's a good yeah. point. That's why I'm wondering. Like, I'm like, huh, who let, who, who freed Pat and Payne? I don't actually know if we know. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, well, th- I just looked it up. Okay. <laughs> Google, Google is our friend. Yeah, it says, in an interview, Robert Jordan stated that Ingtar was the one who freaked Pat and Faith. Huh. The cell of Darkus seems to seem to pick survival of Matt Negley. However, okay. it's not source, leave it ambiguous, it again, blah, blah. But I guess uh, it was Robert Jordan that confirmed that. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm not arguing against it, but I don't see why he'd be surprised. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I... I always thought it was Ingtar, but now that I think about it, why would Padanfein be surprised about Ingtar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So now we know. All right. So that's chapters one through seven of The Great Hunt. Really good book. The Eye of the World is really good. Great Hunt is that much better. So I can't wait to get into it even more. We learn a lot more about uh, the Dark One. Not necessarily the Dark One, but the Forsaken and the Dark One's servants, I guess you could say, and more about Pat and Fane, which is great. And Rand, he goes off on his own at some point with some help, but he leaves the group. So great story. Can't wait to talk more about the rest of the chapters as we go along. So that's it for the chapter review. We are going to talk about um, Lanfear. Yeah, Lanfear. So you're muted. <laughs> um, so we just hear a little bit about Lanfear in the Dark Prophecy, right? They talk about was the, the daughter of the night, et cetera, et cetera. And they say, you know, oh, that must be referring to Lanfear. Um, it says nowhere in its recorded history is does it write her name down. But I, I thought that we learn all their names through the 113 or whatever pages, right? Yeah. Which her name's out there. I saw yeah. it on Twitter the other day, last week. It's I can't remember what it is though right now. I'll, I'll look it up. Well, it's it's Mieren yeah. Aranel or something. Yeah. Right. I don't know how to pronounce these names. Okay, Mieren Aranel. That's what we're going with. Prove me wrong. Let's fight. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Um, so, uh, who she is? Okay. So Lanfier, she was. Age of Legends, and she was actually connected to Luz Theron Talamon, who is, we all know, is the Dragon Reborn. Yep. Um, the Dragon Reborn is also Rand. I hate to be a spoiler. There we go. <laughs> it's out there. Um, so, uh, so anyways, they at some point were connected. We don't really know how. Uh, they were dating. They were together. She was in love with him. He was in love with her. We, we don't really know how deep that relationship went. But at some point... He left the relationship, and it states that he left because he wasn't. She wasn't in love with him. She was in love with who he was. 
right. and the comic, you know, and everything that came with it. He was super popular. He was probably the most popular, famous man of his age. This is Lou right. Theron, right? As Lou Theron, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, he wanted someone to love her. And there was quite a few outbreaks. There was there's uh, written um, stories of her, you know, basically saying, you know, his new wife stole him from me and all this <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> and so, but she's in love with him. She wants him. She spent the rest of the war trying to put him back under her spell or whatever that means. And, you know, she really lived in the shadow or in the dream world. Yeah. Right? And uh, tell, tell Aaron Ryan. Yeah. And she was a master of it. It's also thought that aside from Ishmael, more than Agenor, she was the most powerful forsaken. So she is definitely up there. She's very powerful. Um, they don't know much about what she did. They, you know, she served as a governor during the, the War of Power. That much we know. She was not a field commander, um, and she was sealed deep, deep in the war. So she didn't age, kind of like Agenor did in Bothamel. Yeah. Um, but she stayed young, and I, I think you know it mentions her here. It says she's free. We find out later she is free, and she's taken on a name. Um, I'm going to leave that little quiet until we run into her. Um, yeah. But, you know, she is out and about, and she is very dangerous. Um, what she's doing now, I think, is unclear, right? Until we see her um, later, I don't think we ever know what she was she was up to. But um, another thing of her past I thought was interesting is she was part of – it was a science group, right? It was mm -hmm. like this scientific – they found the boar. They found yes. the hole where the Dark One lived, and she was part of that team. And if I remember right, she was the only one of that team to survive the explosion when they broke into it to let the Dark One free, so to say. And they were—they thought it was like a source of power, right? They didn't realize it was the Dark One. And they're like, well, some people are saying, oh, it's the Dark One. Don't go in there. And her and her group were like, no, it's the source of power that we could tap into and use and blah, 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 and then they were wrong. Is that kind of how it went down? That's how what I remember. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, they yeah. thought it was, you know, this this power beyond what they understood. With Maybe the own. true power? Maybe? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, they bored into it, and there was just this huge explosion, right? Mm -hmm. it, it destroyed, it destroyed, I'm trying to remember what it was called, um, that place that they were at? Yeah. Sherem, wasn't it? No, 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 no. Um, I'm, I'm reading about it here. Oh, um, yeah. So you're correct. So it says there's little doubt that she was surprised as the rest of the world to discover what actually lay beyond the hole she helped create. And she was indeed fortunate to be one yeah. of the few to survive that destroyed the Sherem. So that's probably, I think the Sherem is like the, the science building is what it was. Right. And most, oh, no, no, Sher destroyed the Sherem and most of the Calum Don. Da'an. Yeah. Damn, damn, stupid words. Anyways, um, <laughs> So, yeah, so she, I guess it said there were a few survivors, um, but she, after that, turned to the, you know, turned to the dark side. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she followed, uh, followed the rest there, but hers were completely selfish reasons. It is good to note 
that she is the only Forsaken that got to choose her name. Because most of the other names were given by um, people that had been betrayed by the Forsaken. They gave them these names for whatever reason. But she chose her own name as Lanfear. And um, I I don't know what importance that is. Like, I don't think they ever described. They just, you know, maybe it's because she went so willingly. But by the sound of it, it like, Aganor went willingly. Yeah. Bothamel went willingly. You know, all these others went super willingly. Uh, Aganor went before she did. We know that. Um, mm. But she chose her own name. And it means daughter of the moon? Or night no, or something? Uh, yeah, duh, it means... Why do you have to ask these questions? <laughs> we asked the hard questions on the fourth Tavir. <laughs> I know. Um, daughter of the night. Yeah. The yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. What do you think, Kyle? Landfear, any thoughts? I think another interesting thing about Landfear is her control over Teller on Riyadh. Yeah. Yeah, how does she get so good at that? She is, I mean, in the in the white book, it says she's credited with driving a number of people mad and driving others to suicide, as well as performing outright assassinations <laughs> in Teleron Riyadh. Dang. Right? She's vicious. So she can, so right, we've, we've talked about Teleron Riyadh in the past, right? It's a dream world. People yeah. go in there, can, um, it's like an alternate reality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where things work a little bit differently, right? But, uh, a lot of the times you can you can come out of I mean Teleron Riyadh is, is a very dangerous place, but I mean really you just gotta you gotta wake up, right? Being able to assassinate people in, in Teleon Riyadh is 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 something aside. And so and and then you'll you'll notice later in the book when she talks to other people who start to gain access to Teleron Riyadh, right, and start to become expert, right? Mm-hmm. That she is she's almost offended. <laughs> at the fact right so yeah. saying like no this is mine right yeah, this place, place is mine yeah. i am the ruler here right and so anyways she is very very adept at controlling manipulating and uh being in Teleron Riyadh. i don't know that the question i always had and um maybe some spoilers a little bit here but between slayer and lanfear who's more powerful in Teleron Riyadh? Mm. parent Perrin wins (laughs) Um, I would say Lanfear Slayer had this way like he was more sneaky I I don't know he was pretty powerful he's pretty powerful there I mean he doesn't but he doesn't use the one power yeah he doesn't have the power right yeah and so but But I mean in the dream world he would right he could I don't get it does he I mean right he, he can be anything, right? He can oh, yeah. turn into a freaking dog. He can turn into, like, he creates weapons. Like, yeah. he, you know, he can do whatever he wants there. So it um, begs the question, does the power, I mean, the power is a thing in Teleron Riyadh, right? Mm-hmm. But I would argue that that is, you know, unlike the physical world, that is second tier to being able to, to your point, Mark, manipulate Teleron Riyadh as you as you wish right well I mean, yeah as parents said it's just a weave exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> greatest line right? one of the greatest lines in the series yeah it's just a weave and so i even though she has the power i think that's nullified by 
Slayer's ability. Like, I think Slayer could stop a weave like that if he wanted. Yeah. I, I have no doubt. Um, who is more powerful? That's, that's a good one. Um, I always, I, I always kind of landed. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. Oh, sorry. I, I would say, uh, I would say Lanfear, mostly because of the amount of time she has spent with it. I mean, she yeah. spent hundreds of years before the breaking, right? You know, and then now, and whereas, you know, Slayer spent twenty-five, thirty, maybe forty years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I would, I would tend to agree. I think Lanfear, you know, boots to boots is more powerful because I think. She not only knows how to manipulate Teleron Riod, right? Uh, but she kind of has the powers and added bonus, right? The other thing, to your point, Mark, is is her experience in there. But I think Lanfear's downfall is her pride, right? I think I think you know, in a in a toes to toes fight, maybe Lanfear wins, but but not. Not hand over, you know, hand over fist. I think Slayer would put up a a really good fight with the notion that Lanfear would, you know, maybe be caught monologuing to a certain yeah. extent, right? Because yeah. she's so prideful about her ability to control. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, an interesting thought. What yeah. about Mogadim? Oh, good question. She's, good she's also good. She does. She doesn't. She's in. Well, they're all in Teleron Ryoid at some point, but she's not a master of that, right? <laughs> Well, this is what it says in the Bible. Okay? <laughs> it says this. Her greatest asset was her ability within the world of dreams. Mm. Within its dimensions, her skills surpassed even Lanfear's. Whoa. Really? Form of sovereignty. Huh. Interesting. Never, and then it goes, she never dared confront or challenge Lanfear in the world of flesh, for there she could not hope to match Lanfear's superior strength. So... Mogudin is top dog. That's what, that's according to this in the world of dreams, but then it's weird how she, her downfall came right when she got caught much later by uh, uh, Nynaeve. Nynaeve. Mm-hmm. Was it Nynaeve yeah. that caught her? I think so. Right, because it's like, well, you should have recognized that you could just <laughs> overpower it. And I don't know if it was just a panic, like she panicked because she had never been like put in a position where she had to think like that or what. But I mean, it says right here, she's more powerful. So Interesting. take Lanfear out of the equation, does Mogadine beat Perrin? Because those two, those two kind of went back and forth, right? I think Mogadine and Perrin went at it once and it was, I mean, they, they both walked away, but... I, I, I never saw that Mogadin was scared either. Uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna have to read about that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to do some research. I, I, yeah. To your point, I mean, Perrin. I mean, Perrin wins in my in my opinion. Perrin's absolute. Com- not Perrin now. Perrin much you know much later when he's established that control through you know with his wolf brothers. But yeah. But. Mm-hmm. Between between M- Mogadine and and Slayer, I, I think obviously I think M- Mogadine takes it there, yeah. right? Absolutely, because she 
I mean, you just read it, right? She doesn't have that pride or that altruistic, not altruistic, but that 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 self-respecting blocker that 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 Lanfear has, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think tier-wise, you're 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 it's Perrin, Mogadine, and then maybe Lanfear and uh, Slayer, kind of even even keel, maybe. Yeah. What about Hopper? Hopper. <laughs> I like Hopper, but I don't think he's up there. Yeah, I think he gets destroyed. I yeah, I think he is limited by actually being a wolf. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right? I mean like he I I don't think his his thoughts geared that way. Right? Yeah. Totally yeah. Like I guess I think he can understand, he can teach. Yeah, he knows the rules and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think like he would have the creativity, you know, from his limitations of actually being a wolf. Yeah. So I think, you know, yeah, he he would he would be below all of them. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. All right. So Lanfear, um, she's amazingly beautiful. I'm really interested to see how they portray her in the TV show. I mean, because that is clear, clear as a bell throughout the whole series. She is like one of the hottest women in the. In the whole series, right? Mm-hmm. So she mm-hmm. better be pretty good looking. <laughs> I think there's like her and um, the the Mayim lady. Anyways, those are the two um, that I think you've got to cast really well as far as that goes. Because, I mean, it talks about the – like it's kind of like, I don't know, casting – jeez, I don't know, some random – I'm just trying to think. Berlane. That's her name. Yeah. Yeah, she's got to be. I think both of them have to be really good looking, but classy Mm -hmm. too, right? Whereas Graindall needs to be really good looking, but she's slutty, right? She's. Yeah, it's kind of skanky. She's kind of a skanky person. Yeah. Natasha O'Keefe. Yeah, I know they casted her, but I look at the picture, I'm like, well, yeah, maybe. But they can do things (laughs) with makeup and. She's not ugly, but she's not. I don't know. There's. She's not a Lanfear, at least in the. Makeup. In the casting pictures, she's not a. She's not a Lanfear to me. No, like I'm looking at her. I mean, she's got to be pale, right? And I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of what they get from this. And then she's got the dark black hair, which yeah. you know all, all match. But I, I don't see it either. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe could we got to we got to see we'll we got to see we'll see the production stills and make Listen, a judgment. The good, news, the good news is is that if we have anything from season one to take away from, we know it'll be spot on. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's really good. I'm yeah. excited now because they did that with Tom Marilyn, right? Spot on. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just been you know almost scene for scene really anyway so i guess i mean we'll give it a chance you know um and see i'll take a look yeah and but i mean i think well Enfear is one of my favorite forsaken yeah she's kind of like that she's not evil as like some of them are she's a bad person but i think she has her intention she has her agenda Mm. she's not bad for because she's a Oh, maybe she is, but I I haven't got the impression that she's like um um what was the first guy last book 
Agonor. Agonor or a Bethalamel. She's not like one of those in my mind. I feel like she's she's selfish. Yes. Yes. Right? She's she's the reason she's allied with the dark one is because that was a quicker way to power mm-hmm. to yeah. fuel her selfish agenda. Right. As opposed to the others who like to create obscenity. Um, I don't know if that's the right word, but create evil people, evil creatures to do evil things. Right. right? She's not that type. And, and you see, I mean, she even, she frequently, you know, talks to the, the dragon reborn and says, you and I teamed yeah. up. We can overthrow the dark one. Yeah. Like, She's not al- allied to the dark one for the dark one's sake. She mm-hmm. she wants power, right? Yeah. She's selfish, right? And so she's very much of the whatever furthers my power, whatever fulfills my selfish, you know, ambition mm-hmm. is what I'm going for. And I think those two teaming up, they would be a better ruler or more benevolent ruler than the dark one. Benevolent in quotes, right? Yeah. They would be yeah. a better option in my opinion. Here's the weird thing about her. Uh, we talk about her being selfish. No doubt she is. We talk about her being super jealous. No doubt she is. Um, it only goes to a point, like, I really feel like when I put it all together that she really, like, even though, you know, she wanted Luz Theron for his, you know, what he could bring her, um, he, she really did love him. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why I get at that. If it was all about power, if it was all about what it could bring her, why didn't she try to go with Ishmael? Well, okay, Ishmael wouldn't be interested. We know that. But then why didn't she go for Demon Dread? Because as it says, you know, even in this, and it talks about it in the book, without Luz Theron, he would have been the most, you know, revered Aes Sedai. He would have been the number one guy, right? If Luz Theron was not alive. So... Why wouldn't she go to number two? Why wouldn't she find, you know, try to go with Ishmael? Why wouldn't she do anything to replace that as opposed to keep just going after him? Was it like because she just wanted to conquer him? This is like my, you know, my white stag that now I have to hunt down, like regardless of anything else? Because she doesn't seem that stupid, right? Like they make her super complex, but then they make her downfall super narrow, which doesn't doesn't really align for me so for me i like to think of it she no she really did love loose theron but by the time she realized that he was already gone and then she spent the rest of the time trying to get him because otherwise she would have just gone another way right like yeah i, I don't know because yeah. like at the end and i think that was more a desperation she's like well i'll, I'll take Perrin. but i think that was like a last resort because she, you know she had lost all her standing and everything else you know so i, I don't know what do you guys think about that? Am I off? No. No, I think you're right. I think it was a little too little, a little too late kind of a thing, you know, where I think it started off as a ploy for power. And then to your point, after that was no longer an option, she realized she really did love him, right? And now she no longer has that avenue. And so to your uh, I think she spends the the bulk of the books trying to get back what was once hers, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, Lanfear, uh 
has done great history established by Robert Jordan. She makes an appearance here in this book later on, especially we really get to know her in this book and then moving forward. So like I said, she's one of my favorite uh, Forsaken, so I'm glad that we're talking about her. So uh, we aren't going to get to the Ajas that we had mentioned earlier. We'll just save that for the next podcast and some of the other things. So stay tuned for that episode coming up soon. Again, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, and it helps us out a lot. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, and stay tuned for the next episode, and we will catch you guys later. See you guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.